Hello, hello. My name is Dr. Rachel Gainsborough, and I am obsessed with all things short-term rentals, revenue streams, and helping you navigate your career, real estate, and your busiest and most wonderful seasons of life. I'm an immigrant, a pharmacist, a wife, and a mom who took one guest room rental and turned it into a multi-property seven-figure real estate business, which has also landed us on TV. I'll teach you the real secrets and everything you need to build a short-term rental business that you love. I discuss the hard topics, mistakes I've made, and the mistakes others have made so you don't have to make them for yourself. Financing, automations, acquisitions, low occupancy, scaling, and building your team all while balancing your life are all subjects to be discussed here. Consider me that one best friend you can come to with your short-term rental business questions. So grab your coffee, get comfortable as you get ready to learn and grow with me. This is the Luxury Short-Term Rental Doctor podcast. I am super excited that you're here with us because we are bringing the heat. We have the one and only Amanda Hahn, Keystone CPA, tax strategist for the rich and famous. (laughs) As it relates to real estate, she has really dialed it in. And that's why I'm excited to have her with us. We're just going to dive right in because I do not want you to miss this bag, guys. This is the year to still get that 100%. And I feel it's probably going to be a lifetime before we see another 100% bonus depreciation and just a really important way to accelerate your wealth. If you are an individual looking to not necessarily trade your hours for dollars year, year after year, this is your opportunity. We're like on the precipice of greatness and I want you to have access to this. Without further ado, Amanda, feel free to introduce yourself to the people. Yeah, thank you so much for having me here, Rachel. I'm super excited to answer any questions that you guys might have. I actually posted on my social media, I posted a solicitation for questions and it just blew up with all these questions. And I love hearing questions from you guys because sometimes the questions lead to maybe new ideas or new strategies that that I don't even think about from coming from different investors. Real estate investors are some of the most creative people that I know. And it's no different whether we're talking about deals or we're talking about taxes. So yeah, like Rachel said, my name is Amanda Hahn, and I am a CPA and tax strategist for real estate investors. So we specialize in working with people uh, who are using real estate and want to use real estate to reduce taxes and shelter income. I love that Rachel said I was a CPA for the rich and famous. But Rachel is the rich and famous. So I'm really excited to be here. Part of what we do is we take, uh, I have my experiences in big four public accounting firm where at the time I worked a lot with high income individuals and a lot of the big time real estate investors. But my firm, Keystone CPA, what we do is we take a lot of those same strategies and apply it to everyday investors. I think you'll buy here that a lot, hopefully for the rest of our time together, that a lot of the strategies you hear people talk about that wealthy people use to not pay taxes taxes, to make a lot of income and pay little to no taxes are a lot of the same strategies that we as real estate investors can use. You guys are my favorite audience. And the reason is because you are already interested in short-term rentals. So I don't have to convince you to like short-term rentals. And I know Rachel's had a couple of these tax calls. So hopefully you already know by now the benefits from a tax perspective of investing in short-term rentals. But 
we can definitely cover a lot of that as well. Rachel said, Amanda's going to share ideas on how to save over $100,000 in taxes using short-term rentals. I know for some people, it might sound really crazy or out of this world, but it's actually not very difficult for people investing in short-term rentals. And so, yeah, I'm super happy to talk about that with you guys. Yeah. Awesome. And so Amanda, I, my team does a good job of helping my titles to be extra spicy. So hundred thousand dollars, you're right. It sounds outlandish, but I've seen it happen for me and my community. One of our members saved over 117, actually thousand of in taxes and write-offs against her husband's W-2. And he's at peak earning income as a, a trauma surgeon. So it is very possible. And that's why I'm really excited to share. What questions have you received that would benefit the audience? Yeah, I think I'll start by saying the kind of the main tax loophole. Let me just explain a little bit of it for anyone who's didn't join some of your other previous sessions. So the reason that short-term rental is one of the favorite tax loopholes for real estate investors is that if you are someone who has a W-2 job still, you and or your spouse are still working full-time, if you're investing in long-term rentals, then it is often very difficult to be able to use rental losses to offset W-2 income for tax purposes. Effectively, for people who invest in long-term rentals, they want you to be a real estate professional. And if you're not a real estate professional, then the rental losses are considered passive. And so they only offset taxes from rental income. Right. So this is for people who are of higher income. So those making a hundred thousand, over a hundred thousand, or over a hundred and fifty thousand. For short-term rental investors, is a loophole. So what that means is, if you are investing in short-term rentals and you still have a W two job, you might be able to use the rental losses to offset taxes from your W two and other income even though real estate is not your full-time gig, right? Or you're not a real estate professional. So as long as you meet what they consider material participation hours, then you can use short-term rental losses to offset all types of income. Of course, when we talk about short-term rental losses, Rachel, we're not talking about losing money in short-term rentals. If you're doing things right, we've seen some massive cash flow opportunities in short-term rentals. What I'm talking about are just the tax losses. So tax losses, meaning utilizing strategies like, maximizing your write-offs, writing off the business use of your car or your home office, or maybe shifting income to your kids or other family members. And of course, taking depreciation on the property itself, the furnishing, all the fun stuff you're putting into your short-term rentals, pool table and kayak. So when you create those losses, it's easier for you to use it against W-2 income when you are investing in short-term rentals. A lot of the questions that I saw this morning from my post was, does it also offset W-2 income? Does it offset my crypto gains? So these are the ones that we're hearing a lot. And the answer is possibly. So you can use short-term rental losses to offset other income if you meet material participation. So what is material participation? There are seven different ways to qualify it, but Practically speaking, only three of them are the ones that we see time and time again. The other four are not really applicable to the majority of the people. The three most common ways to qualify, and you only need to qualify for one of the three, okay? It's not all three. The first one is that you spend at least 500 hours on your short-term rental. So 500 hours after you purchase the property, you're furnishing it, you are managing the property, you're dealing with any rehabs, all those are material participation. So if you have 500 hours on the short-term rentals, that's it. 
If you don't meet 500 hour, another really great one, especially at this time of the year when we're so close to the end of the year, is if you spend at least 100 hours on the short-term rental and no one else spends more time than you, then you will be able to use the losses against all other types of income as well. So common common person to compare your time against would be like the cleaning crew or the gardeners, right? So if Rachel has spent 110 hours, but these other individuals have only spent 90 hours as an example, then Rachel would have met material participation, which again, just means she can now use all those tax benefits, tax losses to offset income from her job or her business, all these other types of income. And if you don't meet either one of those, then the third one you can meet is you spend any number of hours on your short-term rentals, but that also equates to more hours than everybody else combined. So another scenario, let's say Rachel spends 60 hours on her short-term rental because we're closing so close to the end of the year. But if we look at the cleaning crew and the gardener and the contractors, they only spend 30 hours, right? So in that scenario, Rachel also met material participation. So if you meet one of those particular requirements, then your rental losses from the short-term properties can offset taxes from W to another income. And this is where we're seeing like $100,000 in write-offs or even $100,000 in actual taxes saved are pretty common. I actually had a client last year in 2021, it was, they never invested in real estate before. First time they get into real estate, they bought two short-term rental properties. Their write-offs, right, between claiming their home office and car and depreciation and all that stuff, their tax deduction or tax loss was about $300,000. So based on their tax rate between federal and state taxes, they saved over $100,000 in actual tax. Right? So that $100,000 could be a down payment on what, two, $300,000 more real estate, right? So it's super, super powerful. Oh, I love that. And one of the things I love the most about it, Amanda, is one thing that we tried to leverage early on when we were in our full careers was real estate professional status. And we just could never really achieve it. You're working full time, some moonlight shifts, overnight shifts. You couldn't really achieve real estate professional status while working full time at a hospital, right? It just was not going to fly. There was no, no one who who could really make that happen for you. And I feel as though this <laughs> short-term rental really solved that problem for us. And what an opportunity. And that's why I come here week after week during, I call this national tax planning season. We should have planned earlier, but during national tax planning season, unofficial to make sure everyone's aware, because if there's something you can do right now, real quick to get another property under contract, I, I hear people saying they're going to wait, Amanda, the interest rates are high. In your opinion, I'm a contrarian. I say, so what interest rates? If I can get my bonus to bridge you hundred percent, it's a win-win. Is that your thought too? Or is Rachel being too risky? <laughs> So I don't ever recommend making an investment decision solely based on taxes, right? But having said that, if the property itself is going to generate cash flow, right, and it's going to have appreciation, whether it's naturally through the market or it's a property where you can create forced appreciation yeah. by improving on it, interest rates are just one of those factors in the whole yeah. decision-making process. But we have a lot of clients like that are still aggressively looking to buy real estate before the end of the year. Why? Because this is the year that they already have a lot of other properties. They've already met the 500 hours requirement. So for 
them, it's like a no brainer. The more I buy, the more I can write off. Whatever. Another question that came in is what if I have so much losses that I can't use it? I don't have enough income to offset against, right? Isn't that wonderful (laughs) to have that problem? I have more losses than I can use. The good thing is you don't lose those deductions. They simply carry forward into next year. So you can use it to offset next year's taxes. So for 2023, you're starting out ahead, right? Hey, maybe the next 30, 50 or 60,000 of income, I don't have to worry about paying taxes on because I already have losses that are coming into this year that I can utilize. Mm, I love that. So a question that we received is what if we purchased a property end of the year, but we're not able to fully put it into service until January one, is there a way to navigate that Amanda? Or is it just going to be 80%? They're not yeah. going to be able to take advantage of the 100%. Yeah, is still good, but I'm a little <laughs> greedy right now with the 100%. I'm like, do everything yes. you can to get that 100%. Reality is reality. Yeah. From the tax perspective, the key term we talk about is placed in service date. So what is the date that the property is advertised and available to be a rental property. And so if it's a short-term rental at a minimum, of course we have to own it. It has to be staged. It has to be advertised, meaning on the listing, it says, hey, you can, this is available, let's say December 20th and on. That would mean it is placed in service and you can take bonus depreciation based on 2022 rules. And that's true even if you don't actually get a payment or no one actually occupies the property until next year, right? Um, Now you might have a little bit higher audit risk because on the tax return, you're going to show a property with zero income and a huge tax deduction, right? Mm -hmm. But nonetheless, if you're able to prove that the property was advertised and it was available for guests to come in, then the place and service is this year. Now, alternatively, if you're saying, hey, I bought this property, it's literally just vacant. I have no way of getting it or listed until next year then unfortunately it is going to be a 2023 placed in service date, which means the depreciation life you use is going to be the 80%. Having said that 80% is still super, super good, right? It's just hundred percent is like awesome, but 80% <laughs> is still great. It really is. It really is. And that's why I say, I know I'm being greedy, but 80% is still phenomenal guys. Let's not sleep on that. But I do want the community to know that this is, I think it's so incredible and so amazing. And the fact that we may not see anything like this anytime soon, I think is what's got me really excited for everyone, because I think it's such a huge gift for those of you who are just working hard for your life and your W2, this is an opportunity to get in there and win. This is like you were saying, Amanda, this is the stuff that we hear rich people talk about all the time. I'm this little girl from Haiti. This is not what we talk about sitting around at our table at home. So this gives you such an opportunity to see how these advantages are leveraged and how to take advantage of them yourself. So I have a quick question. Can you do cost segregation years after purchase? Yeah, that is a great question. I was just going to share a tip. So yes, you can do it. That's a common misconception for cost segregation that people are under the assumption that you have to do it in the year you buy the property or the year you put into service. And that's actually not true. You can do a cost segregation at any point in ownership of a property. Okay. And here's where 2022 is comes back in terms of being important in a, another planning strategy. Okay. Let's say, for example, you went out and you bought a short-term rental property this year, right? You put into service, you advertise it, you have one or two guests come in and out. 
but maybe this year you don't have enough hours, right? We talked about material participation. Let's say you don't have enough hours or other people have spent more time than you. So in that scenario, you're probably someone who does not want to do cost segregation this year. Why? Because you might not be able to use all that loss to offset your other income. But what you can do is let's fast forward to 2023. At that time, if you in 2023, you meet the hours to qualify for material participation, guess what? You can do cost segregation in 2023 and use that benefit to offset 2023 taxes. And the icing on the cake is not only are you doing the cost segregation, but you're getting to use 100% bonus depreciation and not 80% bonus depreciation. So I see your eyeballs going up, Rachel. <laughs> and it's just a slight, a slight thing in the tax world that again, we come, what we always talk about is placed in service. So if this building was placed in service in 2022. I can do a cost segregation. I can wait until 2023 or 2024, or 2025 and do a cost segregation on this building. I will be able to use 100% bonus because it was placed in service in 2022, where the rules were 100% bonus depreciation. Really another reason to just run out and buy a property. <laughs> I know, Assuming right? the numbers work out, of course. Exactly. Assuming the cash flow, the, the numbers have to work. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. The numbers have to work, guys. Regulations have to work. I'm a preacher of regulations numbers. We're not going to ignore those things. So let me just put it out there. But definitely you want to have a tax strategist who understands real estate in your corner to make sure that you're taking advantage of these things, because we're talking, we're a little bit detailed, but we're still talking generalities, right? Your situation may be a little bit different from someone else's situation. So one size does not fit all. So definitely contact your real estate professionals. We did a talk on all the professionals you need to work with along this journey of short-term rentals. I said, no one should be doing their own taxes. I don't care who you you are. Amanda, do you do your own taxes? I wonder sometimes about CPAs if they do their own taxes. <laughs> I do. I don't, but my husband, Matt, does. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you have a team. People think that I'll just do my own turbo tax. Put it down, guys. Don't do your own taxes. You have a highest and best use. And if your secret sauce is not tax accounting, do not do it. But yeah, yeah, taxes, bookkeeping, all of those things. Those are some of the things, first things I do want you to outsource. But if you're looking to purchase and take advantage of these special short-term rental perks, definitely you want to be talking to a tax strategist who understand what's out there, what's available to you. Please discuss the real estate professional designation. Also what your count towards the 500 hours or what's required under this rule, an individual is treated as significantly participating in an activity for a tax year, if and only if he or she participates in the activity for more than 100 hours during the year. And she drops some regulations. This is not my area of expertise. That's why I got the expert here at temp regs section 1.4695 <laughs> and what activities count housekeeping i just want to say i am hiring keystone cpa we are hiring a tax professional so if you love taxes <laughs> please connect with me <laughs> and i you have dropped one, some um, regulations and some I, uh, things amanda i'm like okay i don't know what this is <laughs> I spoke at Pockets Conference a week or two ago and yeah. I actually had someone approach me and said they love taxes and they want to apply to work here. So now I'm just going to openly solicit. Uh, love taxes? 
Yes. There are a lot of people like that, Rachel. <laughs> I'm even talking about it is the 100%. Other than that, I'm like, I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> oh my God. First and foremost, because we're talking about short-term rentals, I just want to throw this out there as the first part of the conversation is for short-term rental investors, you do not need to be a real estate professional. Okay. Real estate professional designation only applies to people who own long-term rental properties that have losses and they want to use it to offset their higher W-2 income. If you're just interested in short-term rentals or you're just investing in short-term rentals, you can literally tune me out for the next, like how many ever Okay. But going back to assume me, I'm going to assume you invest in long-term rental properties. Hence your tax person is telling you, you need to try to qualify for real estate professional. Real estate professional status means a couple different rules to meet. First and foremost is that you have to spend more time in real estate than your job or other income activities. So if you're working a full-time job of 2000 hours, you have to spend more than 2000 hours a year in real estate activities to be a real estate professional. And this is what Rachel was saying earlier, like for medical professionals, you can start doing like per diem locum stuff, but still it's going to be hard to overcome those work hours. Okay. So that's the first requirement. You spend more time in real estate than your job or business combined. What let's say you exceeded that. You also have to make sure you spend at least 750 hours in real estate. So that goes for, that's more applicable for people who maybe don't have a job. So if you're just like a stay at home or you're retired, then you have to meet at least 750 hours in real estate. Once you do, then you're considered a real estate professional. Now, the third part of the test is the material participation. So this is similar to what we we're talking about for short-term rentals, right? You have to meet one of those three material participation tests. So that's the same exact rules. But in this scenario for real estate professional, we're looking at long-term rentals. So more time in your job than more time in real estate than your job, at least 750 hours. And you meet one of those material participation tests. The one that you are reading specifically was the 100 hours and more time than anyone else. So in the long-term rental scenario, let's say you spent 100 hours on your rental property that you're managing or rehabbing or whatever, you have to look at the hours by other people. And if you spent more time than other people, then that would be considered materially participating in that particular property. So hopefully that answers your question. But again, if you're investing in short-term rentals, just ignore everything I talked about because it doesn't even apply to you. You're only looking at the material participation for short-term rentals. Awesome. Awesome. I'm a multifamily investor as well. Oh, this is such a good question. And I think it's a big myth, but you correct me if I'm wrong. And I know that cost segregation is an expensive deal might not be right depending but is it worth it because of the number of units but how much does it cost to do a cost segregation for a short-term rental yeah so you're right Rachel it's a myth a lot of people tend to think that cost segregation is only for commercial real estate so apartments mobile home parks commercial centers ten thousand um, twenty thousand twelve thousand dollars yeah yeah that might be the that case it would be yeah. yeah like years and years ago but now with technology and from covid a lot of the firms that are doing cost segregation are doing it remotely so the cost of doing it has gone down a lot combine that with the fact that the benefit has gone up has skyrocketed because now we have 100 bonus right rachel's favorite the reason she's here <laughs> 
So now you have lower cost plus bigger benefit in the form of 100% bonus depreciation. That's making even smaller single family homes that are, if the building is worth 200,000 or even 300,000, it still could be highly beneficial. The cost of getting a cost done, I've seen anywhere from a thousand to 3,000 on single family homes. Which home, is great. Yeah. Which because is you would assume everything I heard, like you're thinking probably tens of thousands of dollars. But if we can get it done for under 3000, I think it would so be something to consider for sure. So I absolutely love the fact that there's ways to do it without having someone necessarily come in person. Sometimes they're able to do it online. Not that's going to be perfect, but that's what I've seen, but I'll, let me shut up. I'm just so excited. If you have a property, let's say a single family home you bought for 350000 right? And let's say 300000 is the building. Cost segregation could get you up to maybe like $90,000 in benefits, right? And so if you're in the 40, 50% tax bracket, that's a very significant amount of tax savings. So even if you have to pay two, $3,000, for the project itself, the cost benefit just makes sense. But yeah, I understand it's for people who own multifamily, you're used to like the larger dollar amounts, but there are definitely firms who will do the smaller properties. And in fact, I was just speaking with the cost site from earlier. They're like, oh yeah, we're doing so many short-term rentals right now. <laughs> sure, <laughs> so secrets out. Everyone wants a piece of this pie because everyone's interested in it. So that's awesome. And I love the fact that they're able to accommodate and they realize, okay, this is something that's needed by the short-term rental community. And they're able to adjust a bit to make it make sense. If for instance, it's a $200,000 home and the cost sex study was 20,000 or 30,000, is it really worth it? And so yeah. you probably not. <laughs> and it's really funny. I think we've had clients in the short-term rental space for so many years. And in fact, our book that came out several years ago, we had a chapter on short-term rentals, but even back then, a couple years ago, short-term rental was not like a big thing. But I think thanks to people like you, Rachel, now short-term rentals, like if you're a real estate investor, you've heard about short-term rentals, right? Because there's just so much buzz, so much talk about it. Whereas before, I remember my first couple clients that were in short-term rental space, where I would talk to other investors, I'd try to get them to do it because of the tax benefits. They would think, oh my gosh, no, that means I have to quit my job and I have to spend so much time doing all this. And it's not for me. But now there's so many systems that I know you help people with how to be a short-term rental investor without creating a job. Yes, we already have a whole job. We are not looking to get another one. Absolutely. And speaking of good guy, book guys, Amanda and I, we are working on a book. Amanda, I'm putting the final touches to my part, I promise, on tax Yay. strategies and short-term rentals. I cannot wait to share it with you guys. Do short-term rental webinars and conferences count as material participation? Great question. Ooh, that's a good question, <laughs> good question. Yes, a plant in the audience. And yeah, I think when you ask different CPAs, you might get different answers. But generally, unfortunately, the answer is no. Material participation, the law is pretty clear that relates to time spent on the properties that you own. So that is acquiring the property, that is staging it, getting it ready, dealing with the property itself. For things like webinars, education, reading our wonderful ebook that's coming out. Unfortunately, these are general real estate stuff and not part of material participation. The easiest way I always tell clients to consider it is if I'm spending time on something, can I associate this time with a specific property that I own, right? And if so, then it, odds are it's going to be material participation. But if it's just like general real estate, not really property specific, then most of the time it's not material participation, but different CPAs have different takes on definitions and things like that. So the best thing for you to do is when you have these kind of 
questions on time that you know may or may not be, the best thing to do is just to shoot a quick email to your tax advisor and get their thoughts for how they would like to treat that. Awesome. I love it. I have a long-term rental, short-term rental, and W-2. What steps do I take to help reduce taxes? I've heard of cost segregation, material participation, bonus appreciation, but I really do not understand. Um, so how can she think about this as yeah. an over overall strategy sure. for those three revenue streams, the W-2, short-term rental and long-term rental. Yeah. And the answer to that is going to be different, right? Depending on your other profiles. Are you married? Do you have a spouse that could be a real estate professional? Or for your long-term rentals, as an example, right? Let's say, are you lower or higher income? If your income is $100,000 or less, then the long-term rentals are fine too, because you can use up to 25,000 of long-term rental losses to reduce W-2. And then on the short-term rentals, you can, if you meet material participation, then you can use short-term losses to also offset whatever's left of W-2 income. But let's say you are a high income earner, right? High income earner, meaning over $150,000, then your long-term rental losses, if there are any, won't be able to offset W-2 income this year unless you're a real estate professional. And since you said you're working full-time, I'm assuming the answer will likely be no. But you have the short-term rentals as long as you meet the material participation hours, either 500 or 100 and more than anyone else or any hours, but more than everyone else. I really need a simpler way to say that, Rachel, but I'll think about that. So anyway, you meet one of those three requirements, then you can use short-term rental losses to offset W-2 income. So I think for you, the low-hanging fruit is the short-term rentals. Let's make sure we look at once you confirm you meet material participation, then you're looking at maximizing your deductions, right? Tracking your deductions for real estate, for education stuff, tracking all of the home office and car and all that against the short-term rentals that you're using it for, and then bonus depreciation, cost segregation on the short-term rental. I'll probably leave that or not use those same strategies for the long-term rentals unless you're able to utilize it with real estate professional or some other method. Yeah. And those are the strategies, Amanda, that I love looking at for members who join our community. So if you're full-time doc, we had one that joined recently, or if you're working part-time, or if you are an entrepreneur, though there are different ways you can skin the cat. And I, and that's why I really think it's important to bring in those who are professionals within the community to help you maximize. What I want is to make this very top of mind for you because I don't want January 1 to come and you could have done something in these next 60 days or so and you didn't execute because you just didn't know. So within our community, Amanda, I really appreciate you coming in and speaking with us in that private coaching call where each question was answered. You actually showed us the breakdown of if you make this salary, then we're going to do this, then we're going to do that. You even dispelled some myths that I had because I had a realtor in the community who's a realtor. I said, oh, of course you're a real estate profession. It was like, wait, yeah. no, you might not be because she didn't have a long-term rental. And so it was like, oh my goodness, right. we really need the short-term rental to work specifically for that scenario because you can't just assume you have real estate professional status. Yeah, and yeah. That's still not 
fully <laughs> in my head yet. Yes. And a lot of such like a, it um, makes sense. It still doesn't make sense to me. I it wake doesn't up make sense. It still doesn't make sense. I don't understand why she's not real estate professional. But these exactly. are the things with that laser coaching that she did with us inside the community. She was shocked. I was shocked. <laughs> everyone was shocked. So these, these scenarios, everyone has a very specific scenario. How do you find the companies to work with to do a cost seg? Um, I don't know if you have a list of individuals you recommend if you're comfortable making a recommendation. We do have Yona Weiss that he does a lot of multifamily cost segs. But who do you recommend, Amanda? Yeah, we work with Yona. Yeah, we work with Yona a lot as well on some of our, (laughs) from like small clients to some of the larger clients that we have. So yeah, his team is really awesome. And yeah, I think your members will really get a kick. He's a great presenter as well because cost segregation, if you think taxes are dry, cost segregation is even more dry of a topic, but it's so powerful. Yeah, it's so powerful. And you stick no, with me, guys. It's the dollars. Just focus <laughs> on the dollars. <laughs> what's I think what's really interesting about this whole conversation is that for investors, I think it's really important to understand that tax savings, it doesn't just happen by chance, right? No. Just like investment, we don't just stumble across a good real estate deal. Maybe we might, but that's not the norm, right? right? So you have to know what to do during the year to actually get the tax savings. So we're talking about the strategy, material participation, the short-term rental. We even talk about what is a short-term rental when it comes to taxes, because there's specific definitions of what that even means. Or can you turn a long-term rental into a short-term rental to maybe then get the tax benefits? There's nothing in the tax code that says a long-term property can't turn into a short-term rental if you can get the tax benefits of it. And you're the property owner, right? So you decide who, how much, when you rent it out to get the profile that will legitimately get you the most tax savings. And I think a lot of people tend to think that my CPA is filing my tax returns. They must know what I'm doing, or they would have told me what to do. But experience tells us, right? I think a lot of you guys are here, probably have the same experience. Experience tells us that the person preparing your tax return may or may not be the person that's helping you do planning. So if your current person is not doing tax planning, you need to speak up and ask for it ask for planning. We just finished tax deadline. So CPAs have more time now. So now's the time to get together with them, try to do some planning. And if they don't do planning or if they don't specialize in real estate, then, you know, make sure you do seek out another firm that does planning because the planning is where the money is saved, not filing up the tax return. That's just reporting what already did or did not happen last year. Oh, so good. I'm glad you went on that a little bit of a tangent because it's so important to understand there's that whole compliance side and then the strategy side. Compliance, we're just making sure that no one goes to jail. <laughs> right? Yes. The strategy we- too. The strategy is making sure you don't go to jail so that you're actually doing those things during the year instead of just making it up and saying you did it. Absolutely. No, you're absolutely right. But the strategy is leveraging tools and levers because here's the deal, guys. For those of you who are always looking for 100% occupancy rate at your properties and you know we have bigger problems, I tell everyone my secret sauce is I like to stay at about 65% occupancy because when I looked across the spectrum of my seasonality and my the amount of revenue we generated based on just our occupancy percentage, we don't make the most dollars when we're fully booked. Matter of fact, 
once you start to, once I start to push beyond 80% of booking occupancy, I start to lose money because I don't have that buffer that's needed to bring that property back to tip top shape. And then I start to get complaints. And then unfortunately you start to issue refunds. So I'm losing money. It would have been better to let the house sit empty for those two nights than let those people come in and throw that rager and trash it. Right. (laughs) Not that I'm like, traumatized or anything, right? So there are levers that you pull in business, right? It's not all about sales, bookings, booking, bookings, but taxes are such an important lever. And if you can leverage it, how do I save on taxes as well? It's not just get the bookings, get the way, and you're always working in the business, getting the bookings, but looking at it from like a CFO perspective, like the whole financial picture, how much am I really saving? How much am I really making? And taxes are such an important lever. And it's my pep talk to myself is pay attention to taxes. Taxes are important. <laughs> but, but am this I is wrong? just you talking out loud to yourself. Right, okay, like, right. But am I wrong, Amanda? Isn't taxes an important lever? It really makes moves the needle, I think. For sure. Even $10,000 saved in taxes is $10,000 more that you made, right? Yeah. What I always look at is tax savings is the easiest money you can make. Because it was already yours to begin with, right? You just need to work a little bit to actually protect that money. And I always look at it from an investments perspective. If I can save $50,000 in taxes, then that's another down payment on a $20,000, $30,000 to $200,000 property or something. Yeah, very important to not just be so focused on making the money. How much of it do you actually get to keep? That's all that matters. Oh, yeah, that's so true. Okay, Amanda, let's be a little bit transparent with the people because when it comes to tax strategy. I'm preaching tax strategy all the time, but say I have a W-2 and I'm house hacking. I'm just renting out one room in my house. Do I really need tax strategy per se, where I'm paying someone to go in and do all the things, or is a CPA good enough? And I may get maybe $8,000 of bookings per year. Do I need a bookkeeper? Mm-hmm. Do I need all of the bells and whistles of all of the tax support team at that point? Or do I just stick with the CPA that does my mm. filings. So when do you, when yeah. in business, do you enlist a tax strategist? Is it a numbers game? Is it a complication of your profile and your family's profile? So talk yeah. to us a little bit about that. Amanda, can I afford you? <laughs> <laughs> Obviously you know, I need a CPA. Can I afford you? So not everyone needs a whole strategist. Not everyone needs a CFO sure. or controller, all those things. So talk yes. to us a little bit about that. Yeah. And I love the spreadsheet you put together, by the way, about like the different members on your team. I think, so the way I look at it, it's never too early to start interviewing for your team. Okay. And good advisors will tell you when would be a good time to work with them. So we talk with investors all the time, not myself, but my team talk with investors that come to us all the time and ask these types of questions. Like, Hey, I just have a house hack, nothing else for the rest of this year. Is it a good time? Actually, I had someone DM me on Instagram, the same thing. I'm not buying until next year. Should I work with you? And for those scenarios, I've said, no, but definitely come back next year. When you are investing, when you're ready to invest, you're going to have a couple properties and it makes sense. So I would start the interview process and the conversation and the research of your team earlier, but But yeah, for someone who's just doing house hacking in terms of renting out one room, probably not necessary to do a whole strategy around it. But the answer is a little bit different if you are doing house hacking where it's like a duplex. Okay, so duplex, you can't get very large tax benefits if you're renting out one side of it as a short term rental. Or we have a client that has out in Colorado that has a property, their primary home where their basement 
is their short-term rental. So it sounds almost the same as the house hacking rental room, but for tax purposes, very different. That client, I think, saved over $40,000 in taxes in the first year by renting out their basement as short-term rentals. House hacking is like the pros and cons. What pros are, it's on your property. So fairly easy to meet material participation, I'm assuming you're doing a lot of the work yourself. So for house hacking with duplexes or basements, those make more sense when it comes to planning. But if it's just one bedroom, the tax benefits are unfortunately limited. Like a whole planning might not be warranted. That's awesome. So I thank you so much for saying that. What I heard there is what you said was good tax strategists are going to say, you know what, you may not need me right now. And here's the deal. The other important thing, I think you slid it in and I don't want anyone to ignore this. You said it's not too early to start interviewing because you sound like someone who's experienced people at the very last minute saying, I need at the 11th hour. You're like, no, you should have started talking to me sooner than later. So don't be me. My text people do not. I'm sure they hate me. They act like they like me, Amanda, but I'm sure they do not like me. Oh my gosh. So I'm really here, guys. I am like, I'm a student of the game. I'm one of those who didn't do all the right things, but still was able to create a massive amount of revenue with short-term rentals. So imagine if I leverage all of the things that are out there and are available to me, how much more I would be able to generate, how much more impact I can make. So I don't want you to fall into the same situation that I have been in. So definitely that's why I'm here. I really think your tax preparer is the first person you need to hire. And I know someone mentioned something about TurboTax. I'm not trying to dish on TurboTax guys. I don't, I really don't have a horse in this fight. I'm just saying, I don't want you to be filing your taxes on TurboTax. I just know that's the go-to for people who are trying to DIY it. So the reason I said I don't want to see you in TurboTax. I just don't want you filing your own taxes if you are investing in real estate, just because I feel like you put yourself in a position where you may end up warranting some type of audit and you're not fully prepared and you just want someone else looking over your shoulder to make sure <laughs> you're doing that. Unless you yourself are a tax professional who yeah. is skilled and who knows exactly that that's your superpower. If that's your superpower. Yeah. yeah. It's interesting because we actually have clients who are CPAs that come to us for tax filing or for consulting because I, even people, even for people that's their trade, we have a couple of clients who are CPAs. They work in the big firms. Maybe they do like large corporate returns and they don't really know the real estate side of it, but personally they're investing in real estate. So yeah, it's definitely a niche. So unless you're someone who's pretty well versed in it, it's not something you want to DIY. And I think when it comes to planning, the earlier you start planning, the better it is, right? Imagine if we had this conversation in January or February, we're not talking about buying a property before the end of the year and cost segregation. We might be talking about buying three rentals and doing cost segregation where you pay zero taxes for the next three years of your life, right? So the Ah. earlier you do it, the better. (laughs) I that squeal. Oh, I love it. I'm here. I'm like one year pony. I'm excited that I'm two months ahead. Amanda's three years. I'm like, ah, (laughs) but no, that is a strategy that we talk about inside of our community a lot, Amanda, because we know that once 100% is gone, then there's 80%, then there's 60%. So for the next three years of our lives, we're making sure that we at least purchase one short-term rental to get access to this tax savings bag. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for mentioning that. One of the questions I got from social media was, if I'm investing in short-term rentals, what is the one 
main thing my tax person needs to know when it comes to saving taxes. And I think that is, so if you're someone who's investing short-term rentals, your tax person is not well-versed in real estate, you need to find out from them or confirm they understand that you can use short-term rental losses to offset W-2 income, even if you're not a real estate professional. Okay, I know I've said this five times now, but that is the main thing. On a weekly basis, I am getting emails from some of our planning clients whose CPA said, no, you really have to be a real estate professional. Here are the rules because there's just a lot of confusion. It's like a very niched area of the law that not a lot of people understand. So if your tax person maybe doesn't understand it, you need to make sure that's something that they understand and they agree with because what you don't want to do is do all the right things, do cost segregation, meet the hours. And when you go to your tax person, they say, no, I'm not willing to file a return because you have to be a real estate professional and you can't convince them otherwise, okay? So that's the one thing. If you're doing short-term rentals, make sure your tax person understands that. Or if they don't, you share it with them, make sure they read up all about it. They can attend our webinars and <laughs> they'll get all that information. Oh, that is such an important question. And I love that, Amanda, you're not saying just fire them. <laughs> just I just want to give professional them, you know? courtesy to other professionals. <laughs> and that's what I do notice about the tax community. I see that the tax community is such a collaborative community. Like the rest of us, we're eating each other's lunch. But the tax community, they seem to collaborate. They want to share information, which I absolutely love. And I think it's so admirable. So make sure that you're, oh my goodness. And that's that's something I didn't know. I thought they all would know, but they all don't know. And so make sure that they are aware of it. And if they don't agree with it, provide them that education, the resources that Amanda has out there that's available so that they could read up on those, those rules. Cause that's legislation, right? It is law. It is mm -hmm. out there. We're allowed to use these benefits. So yes, let us use it. A question on the cost segregation study. What is the typical cost for a three to four bedroom house and how long does it take? So I know we spoke about the typical cost. It shouldn't be more than $3,000 for a three or four bedroom house. And if the house is say like maybe a hundred thousand or really low, it might not be worth it. How long does it take usually? Amanda, how long does it usually take? Uh, it depends on the time of the year. <laughs> so if you're asking for a proposal now, you probably get it fairly quickly. <laughs> I've gotten it in like as little as two days, not the oh. actual project, but the proposal part of it, right? Giving us an idea what the benefit would be. If you're talking like closer to tax deadline, March, April, September, October, they're going to be a little <laughs> bit longer because those guys at Madison Spikes, they're working on existing workload. Perfect. Perfect. Oh, the gift that keeps on giving. I love it. Okay. The question is, do we start counting the hours once it's placed in service or can we count the hours getting it ready? Yeah. Oh, great question. I've not been asked that before. Yes, definitely. Before it's ready, the staging time, you building the furniture, all those should be material participation hours. So not just after place and service, it's typically we say it's after acquisition, right? After the acquisition of the property, then your hours are all for the property. Next question, what's the best way method software to record material hours of participation? Oh, great oh, question. Yeah. So so for our clients, we have, yes, for our clients, we have a, a sample time tracking worksheet. It's in Excel. I'm like, Rachel, I love Excel. Oh, it's actually in Google Sheets. But so we have examples of like how to track your hours 
for material participation versus just regular real estate hours if you're investing in long-term rentals. But if you're more tech savvy, there is an app there called Reps Tracker, R-E-P-S Tracker. And it was actually, you guys will get a kick out of this. This was invented or created by a client of mine who took my tax planning program. And then she said, Amanda, your Excel is not sufficient. I'm going to write an app. And she is a medical professional. She's not an IT or a tax person. But Reps Tracker has been really awesome. We have a lot of clients who use it. I think it's you can use it with your like iPhone or Samsung. So yeah, check that out. They have it for long-term rentals and short-term rentals separately. I love it. I love it. I love it. What happens after 2022? We, so we talked about it. Then it's 80%, then it's 60%, and then it's gone, Amanda. Or is there a 40% and then a 20%? Yeah, it just dwindles down. And then once it phases out, it'll just be regular depreciation. So it doesn't, and regular depreciation doesn't mean we lose out. It just means we're depreciating over the intended life, like five years or seven years or whatever. And that's a good question because a lot of people think, hey, I, this year we're at 100% bonus, next year's 80%. So I'm losing out on 20% and that's not correct. So 100% bonus just means I'm writing 100% of it off this year. Next year, 80% means I'm writing off 80% of it this year. The remaining 20%, I'm writing it off over multiple years. So we never lose out on the benefit. It's just a timing difference of how much you get upfront versus over time. Got it. All right. May we get a list of suggested companies that will do cost segregation studies for homes that are 500K or less? Yeah. Yeah. Madison Specs is a good one. Cost segregation authorities is another really good one that, that we have clients work with. Engineer tax services. So those are three. There's a lot of them. <laughs> the next question is we have long-term rentals as well. Does time spent on long-term rental count towards material participation hours? So time spent on long-term rentals count towards material participation of long-term rentals. It does not count towards material participation of short-term rentals. So that part of it is separate. Okay. And so if you're looking for material participation of long-term rentals, though, you need to be a real estate professional. So yeah, you first will be a real estate professional and then you would worry about getting the long-term rental hours. So yeah, but if you're just investing short-term rentals, then you don't care about real estate professional. And this is a great question because it brings up a somewhat common issue that I find people in, especially for investors starting out, they maybe have one long-term rental and one short-term rental. And so you're trying to meet the hours of both buckets, right? And it might be difficult because maybe I need to spend 500 hours here, another hundred hours over there. So when we around that again, because you're in control, you're the property owner, maybe let's have both of the properties be short-term rentals this year, right? Instead of having it as long-term, we have them both as short-term. Now, both of the hours count towards the same bucket. Or if I have three long-term and one short-term, maybe my short-term will just be considered long-term for this year so that I just have to do the whole real estate professional route. And the definition, we did get to define the definition of short-term rentals for tax purposes simply is a property where the average guest stay is seven days or less. So you can see how easy it might be just to tweak things, right? So if I have a property where the average guest stay is eight days or more, then that's technically a long-term rental and I can use it alongside all of my other rental properties. Got it. Do you need an LLC for every property owned and do they need to be in the state that they are in or the state that you live in? 
Yeah, great question. The you from a tax perspective, you don't need to have an LLC at all. So all the strategies we've talked about work regardless of whether your property is held in an LLC or in your personal name. But yeah, if you have a couple of properties, you probably want to have LLCs for asset protection purposes. Where you form the entity will also be a question for your attorney because the attorneys will dictate where the entity is formed that will give you the best asset protection. If you're investing in short-term rentals across multiple states, if it's in the same LLC, that's not a problem. All that happens is you just register that LLC to do business in a couple different states. If I'm in California, my, I have properties in Nevada and Florida, and I have one LLC, that LLC just registers to do business in Nevada and then also in Florida too. But that's from a tax perspective. So of course you want to talk with your attorney about any legal considerations on where the entity is formed. Awesome. Awesome. This is a question. I, it's not fully fleshed out, but I think I understand where they're coming from. Are there any benefits to owning the property as a C and operating the STR arm as an S? So are they talking about CNS Corp? Is that what you think they're asking? So operating the property as a C versus an S? Owning the property as a C and operating like the property management arm mm -hmm. as an S. Gosh, there's a couple, there's so many different assumptions I have to make. <laughs> so C meaning C corporation or schedule C typically. So we'll assume it's schedule C because we never want to own real estate in the C corporation. Okay. Okay. So, so I'm assuming in the back, let's say yeah. that one more time, because I know that has been just something like that. that people are just they, I've seen that mistake made as I know it's very sad of a mistake. So don't own rental real estate inside corporations, definitely not C corporations. And the reason is because C corporations are a different taxpaying entity. So all these benefits we're talking about, the depreciation, they'll be trapped at the corporate level. So you don't get to use it to offset your personal income. That's the reason we don't want to have a, a C corporation owning real estate. If you do a schedule C on your personal return, we typically see that when a short-term rental is operating more like a hotel or bed and breakfast. So you're doing more than the Airbnb. You're like going in there and offering services like daily cleaning or airport pickup and just helping them with excursions and things like that. That's where you see it reported on Schedule C. There's not really any benefit in my from my perspective. In fact, if you start having taxable rental income, not only do you have to pay federal and state income taxes, you also have to pay self-employment taxes on top of it. So that doesn't really make sense. But if you are in that hotel or bed and breakfast type of a short-term rental business, then that is where the S-corporation might come in handy. So you have an S-corp management company where you're shifting some of that active income over to the corporation. But nonetheless, the property itself, again, we don't want it owned in a corporation, right? So you or your LLC will own the real estate in all scenarios, but you might have a management company if you're highly profitable. Awesome. Awesome. Thank you for that. What is the best way to find a tax person or a bookkeeper who understands STR? By being here. <laughs> <laughs> you have me. You have Rachel's other great CPAs who talked the last two weeks who are also <laughs> friends of mine. So yeah, I think just being in communities like this where like Rachel is bringing in the people who are experts in the industry, I think that's the best place to start. Also just speak with other investors in the short-term rental community. Who are they using? Who are they working with and trying to figure out? Like I said, you just want to interview a couple people and figure out what it is that they offer and does it make sense with what you're looking for in your budget, even though you might not maybe hire them for a year from now, right? Yeah. 
Absolutely. Okay. Just to clarify for bonus depreciation, do you have to do 100 hours and more than any individual or 100 hours and more than all of the people who work mm -hmm. on your property combined? Great question. So not, this is not a bonus depreciation question. It's the material participation question, right? If I'm material, if I meet material participation, there's three tests. So it's 100 hours and more time than anyone else. So Rachel has more time than cleaning crew. Rachel has more time than the landscaper. Okay, so it's you to one person. The third requirement that we could go under is any hours by Rachel, as long as that is more than everyone else. So Rachel spends 10 hours. But if we co combine all the hours of everybody else, that's less than 10 hours, then Rachel has met material participation. Mm, I don't think I understood it that way before. <laughs> okay. No, thank you for clarifying that because I felt the 100 hours, I have to scramble to get 100 hours. But if I'm more than everyone else, I only had a stager and that's it so far. And then I did yep. the cleaning. I put all the things together. Okay. Yep. So thank you for yes. asking that question, Clay. What a good yeah. question. It's okay. a huge one for the end of the it year. Is. Like I said, if yes. you're getting it ready and you're the only person literally doing really? anything. Clock is thinking, yes, no, this is so good. When you're investing in resources that are helping you, for instance, with compliance, that's one, I would say one fee. But when you're looking at strategy, that's going to be a little bit more, right? Because the the potential of savings is just so much more. And I, I still love the fact that you said, have that conversation first. And a good strategist will tell you, you know what? It's worth it for you to invest with me because I think based on what I'm saying, I can save you a significant amount of money that will offset the investment, right? But if it's just compliance, you just need compliance, $700 or a thousand and under, but when it comes to strategy, it's definitely worth it. If you're, you have one of those profiles that are a little bit more complex and there are savings to be had. And this individual is going to go all in and see what they can do to save you some money and make you some money. Spouses. How does that work again, Amanda? Do the 100 hours need to be met for one spouse or for us combined? Mm, that's a great question. So for material participation, it actually allows you to combine the hours of both spouses. So if you are spending 60 hours and your spouse spent 40 hours, then collectively you spent a hundred hours. So yeah, love it. It's much easier because now you have two people working on the hours. I will say though, because I have had clients ask me that, what if I'm doing, I'm doing like the furniture building and staging and then my spouse is just like watching TV at the short-term rental, then no, that hour doesn't count. Okay. The assumption is both of you are working on the property. Those are material participation hours. Awesome. I hope you got a lot of value from us sharing. Oh my goodness. I know that I've enjoyed these sessions and I've been doing this for the past several weeks. And every single time I learn something more and sometimes it's the same information, Amanda, but I have to hear it a little bit differently. Even the last time you taught us and I'm hearing it again. Oh yeah, that's right. That's how you look at that. So taxes, if it's not your secret sauce, if it's not your area of expertise, and if you fall into that profile where you have a good amount of income coming in and you're looking for opportunities to offset it with short-term rentals, definitely tap in with Keystone CPA, tap in with Amanda Hahn and team because they 
have the secret sauce. She has a heart of a teacher, which I love. If your tax strategist is not willing to spend time to teach you a little bit about what it is that they're trying to do with you, I just don't, I can't work well with those types of individuals. I love education. I love working with those who have educational materials out there. Amanda has is a heart of a teacher. She's got so much out there for you to learn. And once you're done learning and you're ready to take action, definitely tap in with her. Amanda, how can people connect with you? My company is called Keystone CPA. So you can find me at keystonecpa.com if you want to learn more about additional tax strategies. I actually also, we try to host pretty regular tax updates webinars. So you'll find all that information there. And you have a course too, Amanda, a very powerful course as well. We have a six-week program where we work with a small group of investors to figure out basically to build a tax savings plan. Some of the things we talked about earlier, like how do I know about costs? Like how do I put everything together? What kind of legal entity should I have? What states? And do I do a cost segregation now or later? So that's all covered in our program. And yeah, you can find more information about that on our website. If you want to follow me on social media for taxes and see pictures of my kids and what I like to eat, I'm usually on Instagram. <laughs> and you can find me at Amanda Han CPA on Instagram. Awesome. Amanda, I cannot thank you enough for being here with us. I hope you found this to be valuable. I love you guys to the moon and back. And thank you for joining me. Stay connected. We're still going to be having tax conversations. So with all that being said, thank you and have a wonderful night. Mm -hmm.